and welcome to Future Intended, where we share stories about people and programs supported by Hamilton Community Foundation. The title comes from our tagline, History Made, Future Intended. We've been driving positive change in Hamilton since 1954, and we're ready to do it now and forever. This episode is part two of a conversation about cycling in Hamilton. In part one, Terry Cook hosted Kate Whelan, past chair of Cycle Hamilton, and Ryan McGreal, cycling advocate and editor of Raise the Hammer. In this episode, Terry sits down with Jay Krause, current chair of Cycle Hamilton, and Jamie Stuckless, executive director of Share the Road Cycling Coalition. The conversation covers topics like transportation justice, the robustness of Hamilton's cycling network, and what it means for cars and cyclists to truly share the road. We're going to talk about uh, cycling and particularly about complete streets, about what it takes to make a community a, a cycling friendly community. We've made lots of progress in the last decade or so. Uh, I would lament that back in the 90s I was the champion of an ill-fated on-street bike lane program on King and Main that lasted all of six months and I still have some long forsaken war wounds from that experience. But. Uh, uh, we've had the uh, very positive response to the SOBI program, and the Community Foundation's been a supporter there, especially as it's expanded into some lower-income neighborhoods and done some educational things. Obviously, this, the Cannon Cycle Track and the uh, the positive experience there, some uh, new signalized intersections dedicated to cyclists, and, and some other stuff that I think points to a better future. But we also have a lot of work to do, and we've got two good, uh, well-informed people committed to this cause who are going to talk to us about that today. Jay Krause from Cycle Hamilton, the chair of Cycle Hamilton, as I understand it. Is uh, that the yes, correct title? Just transitioning into the chair so with uh, with Chelsea Cox, who's okay. a great leader in the community. Have you asked for a recount on the election, or is that you're, you're okay? <laughs> we got in the first time, <laughs> but right. yeah, looking forward. Vote early and vote often. Exactly. And Jamie Stuckless from the Share of the Road Coalition. Welcome both of you. Um, we're going to start with a little bit of, of biographical stuff because it's always helpful to understand what has brought people to the work that they're doing and then a little bit about each of the organizations that you are a part of. And Jay, uh, I'm going to start with you. Yeah, thanks, Sarah, and thanks so much for, for having us out today. So I guess my work in, in Hamilton specifically came in 2013 when I first moved to the city to study at McMaster. Yep. Um, and it was actually through my studies there that I had my first couple outings into the Hamilton community. So I was lucky enough through the sustainability program there to work in the McQuesten community on the urban yep. farm, um, as well as with, on the business side, the Grain and Grit microbrewery mm -hmm. out on the West End. Yep. So they were some of my first kind of introductions to the broader community. Mm -hmm. And beyond that, biking was how I discovered Hamilton. Mm -hmm. So I find so many McMaster and students they get trapped in this little bubble around the Westdale and West End mm -hmm. area. And so it was by my bike that I was able to really get out there and identify all the incredible energy mm -hmm. that's around Hamilton. Yeah. And that's really what spurred me to, to first become a member and volunteer of Cycle Hamilton as it was first starting up. Mm -hmm. um, and since then have been an active volunteer. I co-chaired the governance committee. And then, as I mentioned, now stepping into the co-chair role with Chelsea Cox of uh, Hamilton and, Bike Share. And in a nutshell, what does Cycle Hamilton do? So Cycle Hamilton has a really simple vision, mm -hmm. and that's to make Hamilton the best place to ride a bike. Very good. Jamie, tell us about Share the Road. Yeah, thank you. Um, so I work for the Share the Road Cycling Coalition, mm -hmm. which is a provincial not-for-profit mm -hmm. that's working to advocate at the provincial level for policies and funding that make it safer and convenient for people across Ontario to ride bikes. Yep. 
Um, and I guess I kind of came to this work, um, you know, reflecting back, I was very fortunate growing up to be able to walk and bike to school. Mm -hmm. And it was something that I really loved to do. It was just fun and it yep. gave me a sense of independence. Um, so I kept doing it casually throughout my life. Um, but it was on a trip that I took from Ottawa to Kingston by bike that mm -hmm. I really started to think about cycling and transportation in a different way. Um, so I decided to come to McMaster, to Hamilton, to mm -hmm. pursue my master's degree, where I looked at people's motivations for cycling. Oh. Um, after that, I went to work in Ottawa, uh, promoting walking and cycling to school. And I really loved that job, um, but I found that I was really addressing issues on a case-by-case case and a school-by-school school, mm -hmm. um, scenario. And I really decided that when it comes to transportation, provincial-level policy change was where I wanted to have an impact. Yep. And so that's what led me to the provincial organization, Share the Road. And tell us a bit about the roots of Share the Road. Yes, so Share the Road actually has some fairly local roots. Mm -hmm. um, it was founded by a woman uh, named Eleanor McMahon, who is based out of Burlington. And she started Share the Road after the tragic death of her husband, OPP Sergeant uh, Greg Stoppert. Yep. He was hit and killed while riding his bicycle training for a triathlon in Milton mm -hmm. in 20, 2006. Um, as a result of that tragedy, um, Eleanor took that and uh, you know took her skills and experience and started Share the Road so that she could advocate so that other families didn't experience the tragic loss of a loved one by bicycle. Um, and actually, um, I took on my current role with the organization when Eleanor ran for office and became the member of provincial parliament for Burlington and then the minister of tourism, culture and sport and the president of the treasury board. Um, yes. And sadly is no longer there because she's both a buddy and in my opinion, notwithstanding the fact she's a pain in the butt, one of the more effective legislators that we've seen in some time. And I'll longtime friend. She's very effective and I'm happy to yeah. say that uh, she's joined our board of directors. Excellent. Yes. Um, so I'm going to put you on the spot. Uh, yeah. One of the concepts that uh, is identified with Cycle Hamilton and other advocates is uh, transportation justice. And, and I think it informs much of the way in which we think or perhaps should be thinking about how we share yeah. the road. Talk about that concept. Yeah, absolutely. So transportation justice is built around creating a system and a system that makes it safe, affordable, accessible, and provides healthy options for transit that's multimodal, mm -hmm. right? Giving people access to whatever mode they choose for each circumstance. Yeah. So looking at the Hamilton specific, it's a really interesting kind of case study because it's so clearly designed for the movement of cars. Mm -hmm. And so that's what's most important today is the baseline of transportation justice is not about specific bikes, but in the position that we are in now, there's this decades-long infrastructure gap mm -hmm. for people to safe walk and safe bike routes across our city to all different destinations, whether that be to school, to the library, to work. Mm -hmm. And so transportation justice really simply is just allowing people to choose the mode of transportation that best suits their lifestyle. And, and to not have to put their life on the line to contemplate either having their kids or themselves go from home to school or home to the grocery store or yeah. home to work on on their bike. Absolutely. That's, you know, kind of the enforcement position we're in, in in some points today. And that's why, you know, we're really encouraged that the city has taken this strong stand with Vision Zero that sets that really clear mandate that no one should be seriously injured or killed while riding their bike. And I think that's a, a really fundamental baseline to strive for. So let's talk a little bit about what informs the decisions uh, by families, kids, adults, about 
how they're going to move around. And you mentioned earlier that you had done your master's thesis on attitudes towards cycling, and, and I want you to flesh that out a little bit for us. So what, what did you find? Sure, thanks. It was it was actually really fun to reflect back on that thesis from almost a decade ago and, and see that a lot of it still resonated with me in my current work. So um, the thesis really looked at, I think, um, in the cycling conversations, we talk a lot about infrastructure and about safety. And I think that's really crucial, um, but we also need to recognize that we won't achieve the, you know, the modal shift and the change towards cycling that we want unless we also address people's attitudes towards cycling. Mm -hmm. And we need to look to give people compelling reasons to ride bikes, but also compelling reasons to support cycling in their community, even if you are not personally going to ride a bicycle. Um, so in my thesis research, we kind of looked at what motivates people to ride bikes. And, you know, first, there was a lot of the things that you might anticipate. People mm -hmm. rode bikes because of the environment, and people rode bikes because of health. Mm -hmm. But one thing we found was that people's motivations may change over the course of their lifetime. So um, people who are under 25 years of age were more likely to say that they cycled because of the environment, whereas people over 45 were more likely to say that they cycled because of health. Mm -hmm. So just being able to provide people with compelling messaging that suits the life changes that they may be going through. Mm -hmm. Another interesting change that actually reflects some international research that's been done is, you know, regardless of how we may feel about cycling, if it's convenient, people will do it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I may want to cycle because it's healthy, yeah. but if it's not a convenient option to do, I won't do it. Right. And lastly, an interesting finding was that people really emphasized the joy of riding a bicycle. And that can often get lost in the conversations about infrastructure and safety mm -hmm. and kind of having that constant reminder that we need to talk about how fun it is to ride a bike and safety feeds into that. It's obviously much more fun to ride a bike when you feel safe doing that, For sure. but recognizing that it's a great way to add um, physical physical activity into your day, but also, you know, a brief uh, period of joy on your way home from work. Indeed. Um, we've got a couple of minutes before we need to go to a break, but Jay, um, inevitably this bumps up against political will, vision, and community attitudes, the, the, the need to design thoughtfully and to be courageous in our public policy decisions around complete streets and cycling infrastructure. And increasingly we hear uh, in an age of sound bites and wedge politics the, the, the rhetoric around this is a war on the car. And, and just talk to us about how your organization and, and thoughtful people in the community respond to that. Yeah, um, I think that's a really important issue and there's two kind of really important things to note. Um, the first is that there's so much research that shows an increase in cycling in a city has value greatly beyond just those who cycle, mm -hmm. right? So we're talking about the war on the car. For everyone who chooses to drive a car, every new cyclist takes one person who's, not, who's gonna be traffic out of their way, mm -hmm. who's gonna free up one parking spot in the city. So that's a huge benefit to kind of the greater ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And the second is, is really getting back to this idea of transportation justice as we talked about. This is about allowing people who, whether because they choose to, because they're forced to for a wide variety of reasons, cycling or walking is their mode of transportation. By not implementing a safe route for them to hit those key destinations, we're essentially saying that that's not a valuable mode, mm -hmm. and that's not going to be part of what we allow in our communities. Mm -hmm. and, and it strikes me, as we go to break, that there's an economic development component of this in that, mm -hmm. you know, smart cities are cities that are, you know, are attractive 
to skilled workers and young people who are frankly transient and and make choices about where they want to live, where they want to pursue a career, where they may start a business. And all of the demographic analysis that I've looked at suggests that issues like mm -hmm. the availability of safe, protected cycling lanes and access to uh, different parts of the community on foot and on, on, on a bicycle is in fact one of the calculations that people are making when they make those determinations. So we've got to think about that too. We mentioned the uh, erstwhile war on the car, the usual uh, wedge politics around uh, protected cycling lanes. And, and one of the interesting elements of your organization is one of your largest or maybe your largest supporter is the Canadian Automobile Association. Why in the world would they support giving up uh, you know, traveled lane capacity on a on a city roadway to more more cyclists. bikes. Yeah, no, I mean that's a great question, yeah. and we get that question a lot. Yeah. Um, we're really pleased to have a long-standing relationship with the Canadian Automobile Association, and it really stems from the fact that um, they recognize that their membership and people across Ontario are multimodal. Yeah. Um, we may drive for the trip to work and for long trips, but for other trips throughout the week, we might, you know, bike to soccer practice on the weekend or walk to our friend's house. Yeah. And they were, you know, hearing from membership that they cared about overall road safety. Mm -hmm. um, I think. It also speaks to a point that Jay um, touched on is about, um, you know, providing safe and separated spaces for people who ride a bike um, can really um, increase road safety for everyone. By mm -hmm. having those separated spaces, it's clarity. And the CAA recognizes that, that we can enhance the safety of everyone by providing adequate space for everyone. And the other interesting piece is about reducing traffic congestion. Yeah. Um, the National Office released a report about eight steps that Canada can take to reduce traffic congestion. And number one on the list was to build bike lanes yeah. um, to, you know, in a bike lane, we can move more people per hour than we can in a vehicle lane. And the Canadian Automobile Association recognizes that when we enhance road safety for people cycling, all of their members benefit, no matter what mode of transportation they choose. Yeah, and, and even for the fiscal conservatives, I would argue that it's probably the cheapest way to move people. When you think about transit infrastructure and what it costs mm -hmm. to build a kilometer of LRT or subway or even dedicated bus lanes, it's expensive. And, and and it never happens in a hurry. And by and large, cycling infrastructure can be adapted quickly and it's relatively low cost. And I think that's one of the things that folks have to weigh when they think about what would the cost be as we're adding 130,000 people a year to the greater Toronto and Hamilton areas to expanding roadways, mm -hmm. even if it were practical to do that. And of course, there's always a, as somebody who's been responsible for building some highways in my political career, it, it, it never comes without a political price. Um, it, it would be economically prohibitive to do that. So inevitably you're looking at what are the other modes and how do we support those things. Um, we're going to actually go to some footage of the Cannon Cycle Track, which was a great example of citizen-led activism resulting in a practical improvement and a significant corridor in this, this city. And it's under construction, which is causing certain headaches. But Jay, I want to ask you about kind of the, the challenges and the opportunities that we have in Hamilton. because um, occurred to me that my kids have had the good fortune and they're now teenagers to ride in major cities all over North America and even in places like New York City which historically were thought of as just driver crazy you can now cycle virtually the entire island especially of Manhattan safely and our kids did it when they were 8, 9, 10, 11 mm -hmm. and that isn't the experience here yet notwithstanding some of the 
process we've made. So talk to us about some of the bottlenecks and you know, weaknesses in our present system and how we go about starting to build a more comprehensive area. What do we need to focus on and what are the roadblocks? Yeah, thanks. So since 2009, with the first cycling master plan, mm -hmm. as you mentioned, we've had really great strides and we are starting to see some of these really essential pieces of infrastructure get in place, like the Cannon Street cycle track. Yeah. And beyond that, I think looking ahead, we also have some exciting new additions coming to the network. Um, two that come to mind are the Jay Ketty Access Trail, mm -hmm. which is a, a really important connection between the lower and upper cities, yeah. as well as on Hunter Street near the GO station. So, we are seeing a lot of really positive indicators, but as we know, we do need to, to, to continue to think about the best ways that we can prioritize and then design the infrastructure. Mm -hmm. So the two things that I think are really important, the first is continuing to do what we've done and identify gaps. Mm -hmm. A lot of times there's little pieces of routes that would complete a you know, important uh, transportation point to a work, a school, some of these key destinations, mm -hmm. and it can be a small project, sometimes even just a bike rack to kind of create that accessibility for that, for that piece of the network. Mm -hmm. And beyond that, it's prioritizing those access points that we've talked about a couple times, right? So a couple of the key ones we would look to are our schools, our libraries, our rec centers, our places of work, and how can we really prioritize having safe and connected networks specifically targeting those areas. And so I think that's what has to be the priority moving forward. Mm -hmm. And kind of a final point there is to go beyond just looking at the downtown that's received so much mm -hmm. of the initial investment. And what does it look more in the East End? How is the mountain cycling community kind of seeing that infrastructure built there? Mm -hmm. And making sure that we're, we're really creating this network across the entire city. Indeed. Uh, Jamie, one of the things your organization does is it, it assesses and ranks or rates uh, Ontario municipalities on how they're doing on cycling infrastructure. And um, you can talk a little bit about where Hamilton ranks at present, but I'm really interested in what are the lessons from other places that are perhaps farther ahead? What are they doing better or differently? And who, who should we look to as, as inspiration uh, when we think about what this place could be like and, and how we could be a true national leader a decade from now? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so through the Bicycle Friendly Communities Program, municipalities across Ontario um, can receive an award of bronze, silver, gold, platinum or diamond in recognition of their investments in cycling. Mm -hmm. uh, we currently have 42 municipalities that have received the award. Um, over 90 have applied, so you don't automatically get an award. Mm -hmm. um, we have several bronze, silver and gold communities, but no platinum or diamond communities yet. So Hamilton is kind of in the middle right now. Uh, they were recently renewed as a silver designation. So recognition that there's a lot of really good work happening and progress is being made, but the tipping point hasn't been hit yet in terms of truly being bicycle friendly. Um, and you know, the program is exactly what you say, so we can look to other municipalities to learn. And the example that I always give in the Ontario context is Ottawa. Mm -hmm. um, they were Ontario's first gold bicycle friendly community. And I think that they have a lot of really relevant uh, lessons learned for Hamilton uh, specifically. Um, Jay mentioned you know, making those small connections. Ottawa has really done an excellent job of installing um, 
you know, bicycle sensors so that when you're on the pathway trying to cross the road, you don't have to get off your bike and press the pedestrian mm -hmm. button to get the light. There's a sensor in the pathway. They're installing bicycle boxes to help you make turns and bicycle signals to kind of make sure that not only are you in a bike lane you know, between intersections, but there's also something for you in the intersections. Right. I think that's a real uh, place of leadership for Ottawa. Another one that I would flag just in terms of, um, you know, looking forward for Hamilton is that Ottawa really got out in front of their LRT planning mm -hmm. and engaged early with the community to make sure that all of their LRT stations were cycling accessible, um, that they had pathway access, that there was covered bicycle parking, recognizing that for a lot of people, you have to get to the LRT stop mm -hmm. um, and cycling can be a really efficient way of doing that. So, um, you know, a potential example uh, for Hamilton in terms of forward looking with the LRT. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I would flag was during the construction of the LRT in Ottawa, they had to close one of the main pathways, but they built a new pathway beside it to make sure that the thousands of people a day who depended on that pathway to ride their bicycle had a place to ride even throughout construction. So some really great examples, mm -hmm. not too far from here. Yeah, and of course the other relevant lesson on LRT was they built BRT in the 60s and over time realized that the appropriate migration was in fact to a, a costly upgrade to LRT and Hamilton can learn the lesson that let's just go to the end product that will serve this community for the next generation. Let's talk about what individual citizens can do both in terms of their own comfort and reliance on alternative modes of transportation particularly cycling and how they get involved in this conversation in the three minutes or so that we have left here. So Jay you're gonna start and then Jamie I ask you to chime in on how we all can make yeah. a difference here. Absolutely so there's so many different ways and a lot of times it's simply just putting your voice out there however you feel most comfortable doing so, right? So we know that we've been lucky with this new group uh, on council that have been very supportive of a lot of initiatives that are just getting started up. So whether it's writing a letter to council, sharing your voice on social media, just last night we had a fantastic consultation with Councillor Nan and it was an open public consultation in Ward 3 at the new Gage Park Greenhouse. Mm -hmm. And it was just great to see so many people out there. And it's a really, really inviting, accessible community. Mm -hmm. And so it's just sharing your experience because everyone's experience is so unique with transportation. Mm -hmm. And then beyond that, I would, I would plug a program that Cycle Hamilton is partnered with Environment Hamilton Work On, which is the Friendly Streets Project, which has been around since 2017. And one of the key things that they've done is actually create a toolkit that's available online that's all about supporting and engaging resident-led groups mm -hmm. and connecting them with important tools and resources to take the initiatives themselves and lead on these advocacy initiatives that they'd like to see to create safety in their communities. Last minute is yours. Perfect. Um, I would say one thing that everybody can do as soon as they, um, you know, leave their house the very next time is whenever you're out on the road, um, really remembering to step back and see every other road user as a person trying mm -hmm. to get home at the end of the day to their family. It's very easy when we're out on the road to get frustrated, stuck in traffic, and to really lose perspective on the fact that, you know, small lapses in judgment can be life-changing or... Mm -hmm. Um, tragic for ourselves and for those around us and to really see the ecosystem and how it fits together and how that person who is you know 
driving, walking, and cycling, the, the vulnerabilities of each, and just taking that time, being patient, being predictable, um, and leaving space um, is probably the most important thing that people can do starting right now to make our roads safer. Great advice and a great point to finish. Unfortunately, we're out of time. Jay Krause and Jamie Stuckless, thank you for what you're doing to promote safe cycling in Hamilton and to make this a better community. And uh, I hope we can do this again in uh, a couple of years and talk about how much progress we've made. Um, thank you. Thank you for listening to Future Intended, where we talk about the people and programs supported by Hamilton Community Foundation. We hope you enjoyed it, and if you did, hit subscribe to get future podcasts. Follow us on social media, subscribe to our At The Foundation e-newsletter for the latest news and stories, and visit our website at hamiltoncommunityfoundation.ca.